0: Dope money and guns. David Ayer is not a filmmaker averse to taking risks, having twice given us an intense hyper-real twist on the cop genre, writing training day and writing and directing End of Watch. He then won widespread critical acclaim for Fury, his visceral take on the war film. If you think it can't get worse, it can, and it will dying's not done, killing's not done.
1: We're still in this fight. We're still in this fight.
0: Now. Now he brings us Suicide Squad, a big budget adaptation of the cult DC comic which he both wrote and directed. I want to assemble a task force of the most dangerous people on the planet who I think can do some good. They're bad guys. Exactly we yeah. While it's fair to say the film has not been well received by the critics, the fans seem undeterred, flocking in record numbers to watch it. Not that either of these things really matter to us, for here it is all about the music. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to the second episode of Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which I speak to the cinematic A-list about the relationship between sound and vision. And there are plenty of sonic delights to enjoy in David's work from Suicide Squad's blistering soundtrack to the scoring of composers Stephen Price and David Sardi in Fury and End of Watch. During the course of our conversation, you'll hear tunes from artists as diverse as Black Sabbath, Grimes, Rick James, Eminem, and Creedence Clearwater Revival. But we begin as Suicide Squad does with one of the most famous guitar riffs of all time. Music is an intrinsic part of this new film. Are you at a stage now where you can kind of get anything cleared? You can pick any piece of music you, you want pretty much?
1: In the case of this movie, yes.
0: There is a house in New Orleans. They call-
1: a vast amount of money on on music on these source songs to get them in the film.
0: Nice position to be in.
1: It was fun. I mean, it's really being able to uh, stab your finger in the catalog and kind of know that almost anything could come in. Clearance is interesting because sometimes they're held by the artist, the rights, sometimes they're held by the estate of the artist, and different estates will have different conditions on how you can use a song. So you're not just dropping a quarter in a jukebox, you kind of have to work it out.
0: the way the first 15 minutes of the film you're introduced to all these characters through them all having their theme tunes, so to speak. Was that an idea early on that you had or was it something that developed as the project went on?
1: It was something we developed as a project went along. I love using, you know, source cues, just regular songs, uh, almost a score, and I've done it in every movie. She's a very- In this case, you know, I'm trying to introduce so many characters so quickly, and it's a good mechanism to have them be memorable and give them a little spin or a little viewpoint. You don't
0: know-
1: Killer Croc is a Creedence song, Vietnam-era song. And the lyrics make sense for him, and the attitude and sort of Southern vibe of the song kind of work perfectly for him.
0: Some folks are born made to wave the flag Ooh, they red, white, and blue And when the band plays hail to the chief. looking for first is it the music the groove or is it the lyrics first and foremost the thing that you want to attach to those characters
1: well it's hard to hit in any specific sequence sometimes you take your visuals and you just spam music onto it you just grab songs and you just keep trying and trying and trying and usually what happens is is you settle on something that works mildly and then usually that song will then inspire the perfect choice
0: written for this film as well by artists they were not put out to tender so to speak but you approached certain artists to collaborate together how did that come about?
1: Well we had a deal with Atlantic Records and part of that deal was you know we would create some original songs for the movie. I started getting demos very early on and a demo can be very rudimentary or it could sound almost like a finished song and one demo I got very early on was you know, the Kehlani Gangster track, and it became sort of the theme song of the Joker-Harley relationship, and then Steven Price did an orchestration with it and really turned it into something amazing in the context of the film. But it, it's this haunting, broken, yet powerful, self-aware song that made perfect sense for Harley's journey. <laughs>
0: you mentioned who you've worked with on was Fury the first film that you guys Yes, yeah. Fury. tell us about that relationship and why that relationship started on Fury and then how it's developed with working on Suicide Squad
1: I mean he's a brilliant composer and an orchestrator and does both traditional and non-traditional things and in Fury we did some pretty insane things with choral chants and mechanical noises and sampling <laughs> So in *Suicide Squad*, I wanted a traditional score because, you know, it's such a big movie. It felt like it needed a large traditional score, but at the same time, it's such an unusual film. Uh, it also needed its own attitude and voice. themes uh, very early on Um, you know one of my favorites is the enchantress theme with these buzzy sort of uh, angry string lines joker theme with you know this sort of tinkling almost xylophone quality uh percussive element and these themes help you as a storyteller you know remind the audience who's on screen what's going on and why they're there it becomes part of their emotional cloak that they then wear throughout the film
0: Really, the score that Stephen worked on went against the expectations of that period. You had really metal orchestral riffs coming through.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, you're making a movie for a modern audience, and if you hug the idea of the period music, it can often work against what you're trying to do because there's no history the audience is going to have to that music. So you need to connect the audience to the film, and the best way to do that is to use everything in the arsenal musically.
0: Like Fury, do you look to certain artists of that time or do you not get into that space with it?
1: I mean, when I was working on it, it was interesting because for the, the Tiger Battle, I'd actually thought of dubstep because it's so dissonant and, and powerful. So it, it came from kind of all sources together. Russian composers, Russian modern composers.
0: Can you reference any of the specific composers?
1: I'm probably gonna mutilate the pronunciation, but um Shostakovich?
0: <laughs> How did you come across him?
1: Uh, I don't know. I just I have an insane music library, everything from Carmina Barana, opera, you know, the ring cycle. I need a broad understanding of music so I can pretend I know what I'm talking about to my composers and musicians.
0: discuss with Stephen the idea of the, the contemporary music that you want to use in the films so that you know he has a, uh, his head around that side of things as well.
1: Yeah, he's pretty much updated in real time with what I'm thinking regarding music because you want to be in a similar key, you want rhythm pacing. You sort of have to understand how it plays as an operatic journey. And so there's sort of continuity. And so, you know, he's very careful about tracking how the cut in in the music is evolving together.
0: I also wanted to talk about the wonderful music in End of Watch. David Sardi, there's a particular track called I Am the Police that I absolutely love on the score as well. How did the music work with that?
1: David is a um, producer and produces many acts, so he has a pop sense and a rhythm, but also, you know, very orchestral quality to his work too. <laughs> I mean, with End of Watch, we had a very synthesizer-based score. And David is, you know, you go into his studio and it's full of these vintage uh, synthesizers going back to, you know, the very beginning of the science and art of electronic music. And he'll chain up 12 of these things to get a certain kind of sound. And he really knows how to twist sound around.
0: And also, that, you know, there are other moments where there's music on the radio. It's obviously part of the actuality of the film.
1: It's interesting because the hardest thing to do is to make something on screen in a movie feel utterly natural and verite. Because everything's engineered. Everything is engineered. Everything is staged. So part of that is, is in sound design and how do you make music seem environmental and that it's something that's being actively listened to by your actors. Hello.
0: Turn your, Turn your head round Take off that frown What's up, putos? Big bad Ricky from the curbside gang Locals. You ready for this shit? Open the door It's also really interesting within that because the scene in the car where they're singing the Carmen song, which was, I believe, a happy accident.
1: Yeah, exactly. It it came on the radio, and, you know, I was sitting in the back with a sound deck and with a video camera, and we were driving to Vegas uh, from Los Angeles, and they started lip syncing to the song, and uh, I thought it was amazing, and we were actually able to clear the song, so it's just this natural great moment that you can't predict hey night.
0: Night. Smoke? I I
1: smoke? Up. So, my.
0: what's up let's all right night. all right you all right and we so what's up let's all right all right and we get it on the night With Harsh Times as well, which I've read is the most loosely autobiographical piece of writing you've done. Was the music in that very much reflective then of your experience and your life of that time?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely more of a snapshot of a, a place and time. So the music in that is immensely personal.
0: Is that harder to put in, or, or did you just connect yourself more?
1: It was easy to put in because you know I am connected to it, and I do enjoy it, and it did have meaning for me. So it's such a specific moment and sense of place that that film has—very Los Angeles.
0: It feels almost like the music, the soundscape of your films musically almost is the closest we get to you. Would you say that's a fair assumption?
1: I, I, I think that's pretty fair, although I do like a lot of Pink Floyd, but I haven't been able to put any Pink Floyd in the movie yet.
0: What for you has been, as a film fan, what are the earliest things you remember, musically, being important?
1: Uh, I mean, look, it's, you know, the classic is obviously, you know, as a seven-year-old kid watching Star Wars. (laughs) ¶¶ score, you know, which obviously is is iconic. You really saw the power of integrating imagery to music and that's an example of the last thing you would have expected at that time to have been on uh, a science fiction film. But I've I've grown up, you know, loving movies and loving film and loving music, you know, it's sort of the background track of my life.
0: influence on David Eyre that is of course the main theme tune from Star Wars as composed by the great John Williams a huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us now you can hear last week's episode with High Rise director Ben Wheatley by heading to edithbowman.com where you can also find a full track list for this show we have a dedicated soundtracking Spotify account too where I've curated a playlist featuring the tracks you've just heard in the order they appear I'm Edith Bowman, and you've been listening to Soundtracking, our weekly celebration of music in film, out every Friday. For our next offering, I'll be joined by much-loved indie director Todd Sollins, the man behind Welcome to the Dollhouse and Happiness, whose latest film, Wiener Dog, is out now, and he is great value. So it'll be well worth joining us for that. I look forward to the pleasure of your company then.